We're gonna jump into part two of Sabbath. And so I'm gonna pray a very, very brief prayer. I'm gonna launch right into this. I would just encourage you, if you missed part one, I would recommend you go back and listen. I really kind of set the tone for this little four-week series that we're doing. We talked about our need for rest. Um, We have an epidemic in our culture. But more than that, personally, are we willing to, to pay attention, slow down, and recognize we, we might need some rest that we're lacking. And then we looked at the source of rest. God himself rested and created rest for us. Sabbath was a gift, and it's a gift that we so often refuse that he made it a command so we would do it. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm just trying to give you this, and you won't take it. So once a week, you better take it. Um, it's a gift that he wants to give. And then ultimately, it produces something wonderful. The kind of rest Jesus offers heals and feeds us. It satisfies us. And that's what we looked at last week. So there's it in a nutshell what we talked about. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into part two, um, resting in Jesus. God, we need you. We need you this morning to help us get this. But God, we need you to teach us what it means to rest in you. God, we can say the words, we can read the verses, but God, the reality, the the reality at a heart level that then permeates our thought life, our emotional life, our physical bodies even, but God, at that heart level, you have a rest that's available to us. And God, the truth is, it's hard to to camp there. God, if I'm honest about my life even today, I just seem to find it in bits and pieces. But God, I believe with all my heart that you're inviting me and you're inviting my friends into a way of life where we learn to simply rest in you and watch how that changes everything. Help me to talk about this this morning. God, help us not just to have ears to hear it, but hearts ready to receive it. God, the things in this that are, that are personal, the things that you can't give away, just specific ways you might be inviting each of us to rest in you. God, would you speak to us at that level this morning? We come expecting and anticipating to hear from you today. We know that you'll be faithful to speak God, would you help us to hear? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, I may have mentioned this last Sunday. I don't recall, but a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity, a week and a half ago, to preach under the bridge, um, um, kind of downtown in Knoxville. There's a weekly Wednesday night ministry that feeds the homeless, and, and they share a message with them. And so I got to come be a part of that. David Kelly came with me, did a great job leading worship. Um, and I talked about something that's pretty familiar and a topic I've, I've taught here in the church before. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I'm really obsessed with are the parables of Jesus. I just love diving into them and watching them come to life. And so the one in particular I talked about that night was the parable of the sower, right? And the seed gets sown, it lands on the path and the rocks and the thorns and the good soil and the good soil produces and the other ones for various reasons don't. Um, but the thing, the thing I wanted to do at that, that night that I chickened out on is the way Jesus taught that message is not the way we teach it in our church settings. He just told the story. He didn't explain the meaning. 
He got up and said, this is my paraphrase, a dude went out and he threw some seed. Some landed on the path, some landed on the rocks, some landed on the thorns, some landed in good soil and produced a lot of fruit. If you get it, you get it. And he walked away. I realize it sounds like I'm being a little flippant or crass, but like in the King James, it'll sound a little more official. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what he's saying is, he just threw out this idea and left it there. The explanation of the parable came later when his disciples went to him and said, what in the world are you talking about? They were eager and hungry to understand what he was offering. And then they received the explanation. Now, I believe on some level, just the very fact that we come and gather in a place like this means I want to pursue what Jesus has to say. So there's credit for that, right? Like we gathered to do this. But I just, I believe that there are some things that God wants to give us that we're not going to get unless we go after it a little bit. And I think on some level, it's been so ingrained in our culture to just kind of gather or listen in our ears or driving or whatever and just kind of receive stuff that, that we didn't work for. And I don't mean that accusationally. I do that. But that there, there's something that God has to offer. There's a, there's a depth and a richness. There's, there's sustaining food when we recognize that he's got something cool and I want to get my hands on it. And so the nature of what I'm talking about today, I'm not talking about that parable this morning, but the nature of what I'm talking about is I kind of just want to say, check this out. Check this out. And so I have one point this morning. <laughs> and then maybe because I can't help myself, I don't know, I'm going to give you three little places you can start. So I want to give you a little bit of a track to run on. Um, but, but the invitation is we can rest in Jesus. And most of us already know that. There's a chance that I'm going to get done talking this morning. You go, I've heard all that. But do we have it? Do we have it? Do we find ourselves at rest in Jesus? Is the rhythm of my life, he's good and I'm all right and it's going to be okay. Is that the rhythm of my life? Do I have it? And so that's the invitation this morning. So I'm going to start where we ended last week, um, reading the words of Jesus and his invitation to find rest in him. This is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Um, this is verses 28 through 30. I think I might have typed 25 through 30 on accident. Um, 28 through 30. Come to me, this is Jesus speaking, come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody in here labor at all this week? Anybody in here ca carrying any heavy burdens at times? Okay, well, whether your hand's up or not, if that's ever been you, labor or burdened, this invitation is for you. It's for me. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's available, but we got to position ourselves to learn from him. Take his yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His yoke isn't the slave-driving kind of yoke. 
He's not hitching up the horses and you're the horse and now he's up there on top of the stagecoach like whipping away. That is not it. He says, I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. I'm humble. I, I want to ease you into finding this rhythm of life in the midst of the, the labor and the burdens that we carry to find rest in me at such a level that you will find rest for your very souls. It's not that there isn't physical rest, but there is a deeper soul rest that is found in him. And it's that rest that then enables us to enjoy all the others. Our next couple Sundays are gonna be on the other ways that we find rest, but it's rooted and grounded in finding rest for our souls in him. Verse 30, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's his invitation. So our point this morning, point number one, and the only point, is learning to live at rest. But I'm going to call it becoming unbusy. Now, to make sure I'm not getting too much credit this morning, a huge part of this message is rooted in reading guys like Dallas Willard, reading guys like um, James Bryan Smith, John Ortberg. I'm going to be quoting and referencing some of these guys throughout. This concept of being unbusy, um, that, that word specifically, that phrase is from Eugene Peterson. The late, great Eugene Peterson went to be at rest ultimately last fall. He's, man, he's enjoying some serious rest now. Becoming unbusy. Um, Dallas Willard, um, incredible guy, great disciple maker. His heart was about people learning to just be disciples of Jesus and figure out what that looks like. And he's got a legacy of people who've, who knew him, learned from him, followed from him. And what's funny is reading some of the books of the guys he influenced, they all have this quote in their books. At some point in time or another, these young, ambitious, hungry leaders would come to him and they'd say, Dallas, what is the secret to staying spiritually healthy? How do we do it? How do you do it? And they've got their notebook out and they're ready to write and they want his 10 steps to living a spiritually healthy life. And this guy took a lot of time unpacking different spiritual disciplines and things. What is it? And this was his answer over and over again. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Several of them would even hear that and go, okay, cool, great, what's next? And he'd go, there is no next. <laughs> we have an epidemic in our culture. And so we will actually, to a degree, have to work at unbusying ourselves, unhurrying our hearts, letting go of the things that just grab our minds and they just nonstop, on a loop. It's, it's something we have to learn. So we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, I mentioned James Bryan Smith. He, he put together a great series of books. They're, they're all called The Good and Beautiful. It's like The Good and Beautiful series. The first one is The Good and Beautiful God. And he devoted a whole book on just doing what we were singing about this morning, just learning to reflect on how good God is. And some of what his book goes after is not the person who's grown up and never known Jesus. 
a lot of what his book goes after is those of us who've been sitting in church our whole lives but aren't able to just sit and rest and take in the goodness and beauty of God. And it's like relearning about his incredible love for us. And so one of the things as I began to go through the book, I remember coming across, I was like, man, this is great. Um, I wish I could write this book. Like the stuff he wrote, it's just stuff that's been in me for years that I just find to be so important. He articulates it so well, I could not write on his level, but I, I was just going, yes, yes, yes. But every chapter, at the end of the chapter, he has this little section that he calls soul training. And some reading through, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I want to put, get myself into this book. I want to do this stuff. And so he's got these like tasks that he invites you to do. And so the first chapter, I'm pretty sure it's the first chapter, the soul training is sleep. <laughs> like, wait, hold on. I'm reading a book about how good and beautiful God is and leaning in and having this close relationship with him. And his first soul training exercise is be disciplined about getting lots of good sleep. <laughs> and he unpacks all these stats on how we sleep less and less and we're exhausted and that's not how we were wired. And then he unpacks the fact, think about this, it, scientifically even, they can say you need like eight hours of sleep. The human body was designed for eight hours of sleep a night. Eight and a half is like ideal. Eight hours of sleep. That means God made you to spend one-third of your entire life resting. Think about the implications of that. Think about how little you get done when you sleep. Some of you are like, no, I, I think about that. That's why I can't go to sleep. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about the stuff I got to get to tomorrow. Think about the, the level of trust involved in going to sleep. I will never forget the way I felt. I felt a little weird at home at night when I was first married and I'm realizing I'm responsible to protect my wife now. But when it really got real is when we brought our first baby home. And we put, and I was like, I felt like I needed to get like the shotgun out and just camp by the front door window and just be on duty all night. Like, like I felt the weight of I'm supposed to protect this life. When you close your eyes at night, that's as vulnerable as it gets. It's an act of trust. It's an act of worship just to say, God, I'm going to sleep and let you be in charge of things for a few hours. He designed that to be such a rhythm in our life because he's actually inviting us to live that way, to be so at rest that, he, that he's in charge and he's got it. So anyways, he unpacks these different soul training things, and, and the whole idea around it is... Basically, he took what Dallas Willard said to heart. He said, I'm going to figure out what it actually looks like to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in my life. And he began to figure out some rhythms of some things he could do. And he discovered there are things that have been there all along that the scripture invites us into. Ways that we can rest and meditate on who God is. And so we, we, the way that we get at the thing that gives us rest is by slowing down and letting that get into us. The character and nature of God and how he views us is the source of our rest. It's rooted in his character and it's rooted in how he loves and views me. 
I could almost say that if we allowed ourselves to really get that, it would fix 90% of our theological error. So much of the ways we get hung up on bad theology, ways that we even struggle. I remember I, I used this actual illustration once on a Sunday years ago. We pit the grace of God and good works against each other, like they're on a, the ends of a seesaw. And like I'm called to do good works and good things, and then we can lean too far this way, and I'm striving and earning my salvation. And then I can come over here on the side of grace, but that if I'm not careful, grace is just enabling me to be lazy and sinful and abuse the grace of God. And, and so we run back and forth. Like I've felt myself doing this in my spiritual life. Like I'm on this continuum of like resting in his grace. Okay, man, I'm just kind of being a lazy, sinful jerk over here. And then running over here to like work and serve and earn. And it's, it's exhausting, has anybody ever stood on a seesaw and put your leg on either side of the fulcrum point and tried to balance? I'm the only kid that did that. Okay, I was a weirdo. <laughs> Do they even have seesaws at playgrounds anymore? I don't even know. Probably not. I'm sure kids can fall off the end and break their arm, and so those don't exist anymore. I don't know. We had wooden seesaws that would give you splinters when I was a kid, and I feel like I'm tougher for it. Anyway, but... That place, there's a place of rest. It's, it's called that, that fulcrum point where the, where the board <laughs> sits. If you're dead center, there's no work involved. You're, you're at complete rest. That's what God has for us. If we'll rest in him and let the truth of who he is permeate our hearts, man, it, it'll radically change us. This is what the apostle Peter's talking about in the verse I got up here and read when I interrupted worship. I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not. Felt right at the time. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Peter, Peter's actually commending those of us who've chosen to, to see God even though we don't see him. Those of us who've chosen to believe in this love that's not, I can't touch it. And he, he talks about the power that comes from that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's saying that there's incredible power that flows from believing in and loving God. If I, if I believe in who he is, excuse me, if I believe in who he is and love him, it, it changes me to the point where I'm experiencing inexpressible joy and glory. I'm not going to do a public survey right now, but if we were honest about our seven-day week, what percentage of that we were living in a state of inexpressible joy filled with the glory of God? If I, if I could take the temperature of that, I find myself pretty lacking. That's not meant to be a criticism that makes us feel guilty. It's a thermometer to say, God, am I, is this permeating me? Is the truth of who you are, your love, is it permeating my life so much that I'm living out of this place of experiencing joy that I can't even describe? 
because it's not rooted in my circumstances. In fact, things are kind of a mess right now, but God, you're just good and faithful, and I know it'll be all right. There's this way of seeing that, that the writer is talking about here. And he says, he uses this word obtain, or other versions might say receive the outcome of your faith. Obtain the outcome of your faith or receive it. The salvation for our souls. That word obtain or receive, it does mean acquire. Like it does mean you, you get a hold of it. But it means more than that. The, the Greek word also means to tend or take care of. In other words, this thing that I've received, that aha moment of salvation and the love of God and the life I have in him that just makes me go, woo, when I'm a baby Christian, I obtain it. It's real. I have it for eternity. I'm his. It is also something that needs to be tended and cared for and guarded. I need my soul saved today. I need the salvation of God that permeates my soul to fill me today. And so the way that's tended, the way I see the God I can't see, that's what prayer is. So much of our resting is found in communion with him. He's the vine, I'm the branches. I'm, I'm connected with him. I wish prayer wasn't like a four-letter word to us Christians. Like the minute the preacher gives up and says something about pray, I immediately am filled with guilt. Well, I probably don't do it enough and I probably don't do it right. And prayer is coffee with God. Prayer is a good meal with Jesus. Prayer is communion and connection with him. And so we're invited to do that. So Eugene Peterson, I mentioned him earlier. He talks about developing our prayer life in this, this connection between being unbusy and prayer as going hand in hand. Here's how he describes it. He says, it takes time to develop a prayer life. I know I can't be busy and pray at the same time. I can be active and pray. I can work and pray. But I cannot be busy and pray. Can you get your arms around that? The busyness, it's an internal way of living. It's, it's an anxiousness. It's a racing mind. It's, it's not feeling settled. I can work hard and have a full schedule, but be connected to God and pray and talk to him, and he's present. Or I can be so in my own mind and busy and anxious and that's like he's, I don't even recognize his presence. I cannot be inwardly rushed distracted or dispersed. You ever feel like your mind's dispersed? Like it resides everywhere but right here? I'm so guilty of that. I mean, I, I can sit at the table. My poor family could probably come up and tell tons of examples of this. I'm sitting at the table and I'm not there. My mind's dispersed. I'm here thinking about that situation with that person, that thing I need to take care of, this email I've got to respond to. And it's like my mind's dispersed. I'm distracted. Usually, for this to happen, this idea of learning to be unbusy and pray, usually for that to happen, there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day, a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. And Jesus found a lonely place to go and pray with the Father. 
over and over and over again. Now, so that you don't think I'm just quoting a bunch of guys, there's some scriptural basis for this. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted in your life. I added that part. But you live in a nation on this earth. You're in the earth. If we would be still and know that he is God, he would be exalted. And when he's exalted, all the other stuff starts to not, it'll be all right. It doesn't actually rely that much on me. It'll be okay. The writer Isaiah gets at this um, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength, but you were unwilling. He's talking about the way that Israel would constantly it would almost immediately follow a season of peace or rest. Things would finally get worked out. They'd be set free from their enemies. There'd be a halfway decent king on the throne. Things would be pretty good. And and they couldn't just rest in him. They would very quickly be finding themselves trying to pursue other ways to satisfy themselves. They're aligning with other kingdoms. They're, They're making treaties in order to feel more secure because they've aligned themselves with the right people, the right kings in the area. They would compromise their faith and start looking to other idols and other things. And he's saying, listen, none of that saves you. This is, it's as simple as returning to me and finding rest in me. That's where your salvation lies. In quietness and in trust, that's your strength. Listen, prayer is a form of rest, which in turn is a form of worship. It's a form of worship. Prayer is a form of worship. Communion with God is a way of worshiping him. God, I'm giving you my thoughts, my attention. You've got my focus right now. Um, The Bible actually compares, one of the words in the Bible that describes worship compares the way a dog responds to its master, like it licking its master's hand and being excited. Anybody got a dog that just greets you excitedly every time you walk in the door? I wish I was as amazing as my dog thinks I am. I'm I'm amazing in Charlie's eyes. One of the things that that we've noticed my dogs will do when we're just hanging out in the living room, like they'll be kind of resting around the room. If I even adjust on the couch, they immediately look at me. And they're seeing, where am I going? What am I doing? Okay, dad's just laying still. Cool. We can go back to laying still. And they close their eyes. If I get up, they're like, where's he going? They're going to follow me around. Recently, we had like a couple moths in the house and I'm like trying to get these things with like a magazine and the dogs are up. Kate, weren't we just talking about this, Katie? Bo does this too, right? Something similar. My dogs get up and they're on the hunt with me. I mean, they're in the living room, like barking, looking, chasing it around. I mean, they're hunting the moth with me. We get it killed. We get it out of there. We're back on the couch. They plop down. They're happy. They're just hanging with dad. Dad's letting us be at rest. We're at rest. Oh, we're going to get up and get that moth. Let's go get it but their their eyes are on me. And the Lord just like reminded me of that this week. I'm like, man, my dogs are better at this than I am. (laughs) My dogs worship better than I do. 
I get, to, I get to hang out with dad and be at rest with him. Prayer is just looking to him, being still, knowing he's good, and knowing that's enough, and letting that permeate my heart. Prayer is a form of rest, and that prayer turns into worship. It's a part of worship. And so, resting in his presence, we can do this by, Dallas, ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. You want to know the best way to start eliminating hurry from your life? Spend time with this really good God who loves you and who's enough. Hang out, camp in his presence, be at rest. You don't have to be an expert at prayer. You don't have to be good at it. It's okay. You can learn. It can be messy. You don't have to do it enough. But let's spend time with him and watch what happens. The, the heart of this, the heart of everything we're talking about this morning, resting in Jesus, this isn't just like a good addition to our life. It's, it's the heartbeat of the gospel. Jesus has done for us what we cannot and should not try to do for ourselves. He said, it's almost done. You just got to do a little more. It is finished. The work is done. We can be at rest in what he has done for us. I worry sometimes that in our Christian lives, we're just sort of gospel adjacent. I'm near the place where people talk about the gospel of Jesus, and it sounds pretty great. But we're invited into a way of living where we're gospel central. I live, I live out of the gospel. What if I approached my work and my rest and my worry and my anxiety from a position of it's finished, it's secured, it's one for me. I, I'm just his now, and I get to live out of that. I get to rest in that reality. We do too much addition, and by that addition, there is subtraction. We lose something that he's offering by adding to the gospel. He's done it, the end. It's enough, the end. Let's rest in the salvation he's won for us. Amen? Okay, so that's the message. So I'm gonna give you three things, and I, I was gonna preach them a little bit, but instead I'm just gonna kind of hand them to you. Maybe this was God's little wink to go, no, you're not gonna give them all the steps here. Just go do it. All right, three things, three ways that we can practice this. Three little steps. I would invite you to do one of these or maybe all three of them that we can rest in him, okay? Number one, the first way, these are all taken from Jesus' life. This is how he lived. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So here's how he lived. The first thing he did, he lived accepted. He lived accepted. God did not wait till he was on the cross to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had lived 30 years of his life and on paper had not accomplished anything yet for kingdom ministry. And God said, that's my son and I'm well pleased in him. Jesus lived from that place of acceptance. And I'll mention it in passing. I'm not gonna read the whole verse, but Galatians chapter four and other places in the New Testament tell us we now get to live that way because he places his spirit inside of us. Galatians chapter four, specifically verse six that spirit cries out because we're now sons and daughters and it cries out, Daddy, Abba, Father. 
by positioning ourselves in him, we're rooted and grounded in Christ, right? By positioning ourselves in him, I now have what he had. He lived from a place of being accepted. I get to live from a place of being accepted. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. The end. I can live from that. Before I've done anything for him, that's who I am. All right? That's number one. What if we chewed on that? What if in our prayer time we slowed down and listened to him say to us, you're my son. You, you're my daughter. You're my son. What if you heard him speaking that truth to you as you slow down and spend some time with him? Number two, Jesus not only lived accepted, he lived sustained by God. The very next thing he does after hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, is he goes into the wilderness and he has nothing. He has no food, he has no drink, he's thirsty, he's hungry, he's out there in the desert 40 days. And at the end of that, the enemy shows up to mess with them. And wouldn't you know what the first temptation is? Hey, I bet you're hungry. And Jesus' response to that when being offered bread or being challenged to make bread, when he was offered that, he answered very simply. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He not only lived accepted, he was sustained by Jesus. I mentioned it before. The thing that marked his life over and over and over again is that he would go away to pray. And the disciples so recognized his reliance on prayer and time with the Father, they, they were like, we got to learn this secret. So they come to him in Luke's gospel and they say, hey, John the Baptist, his disciples, they learned how to pray from him. Would you teach us how to pray? And so out of that context, he, he teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Well, he starts out, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where do we start? Reflecting on him, on who he is. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What's that reflection? God, this is who you are, and this is what you do. This is what you do in my life. This is what you want to do here in this moment. And then what's the very next thing? Give us this day our daily bread. That is bigger than having food in the fridge and a roof over your head. It's that too. It's that too. But it's bigger than that. This is the bread Jesus was talking about. He has bread for us that we live off of. We live accepted. And then we operate as those who are sustained by God. What he has for me satisfies. It's enough. Number three, the third thing Jesus did. He lived accepted. He was sustained by the Father. The third thing, he knew his significance. It wasn't rooted in what he did. It was rooted in who he was. No one captured this better than John the Apostle who throughout his Gospels had the I am statements of Jesus. He knew who he was. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am on and on and on, the light of the world, the good shepherd. He didn't say, I'm going to try really hard today to be the good shepherd. My goal today is to light things up. 
He just said, this is who I am. This, this permeates my being. He knew his own significance. And listen, we have inherent significance. This is, this is throughout the New Testament, but just a glimpse of it is found in Matthew chapter 5. In the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're the salt of the earth. It's, it's who you are. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill, it's going to be seen. You, you hold inherent significant value. You have worth in and of yourself, how he's made you. And then, man, rooted in him, he lights you up. You're salty. You're light. It's, it's a part of who we are. And the only thing he says in this passage in Matthew's gospel is, be careful not to lose your saltiness and don't hide your light. Let, let who you are be. Let it be. One of the, one of the moments in my life that I remember the most, and I'm going to close with this story. Um, got invited to some dear friends of ours' house for an evening just to have some time of prayer but specifically for a time of prayer and encouragement. I don't know if y'all have ever practiced something like this, but our dear friends, um, Myron and Carol Goodwin, invited me over. A couple other young guys were there. My friend Rob Rogers, David Green, and myself go over there that night. So it's like, hey, we're just going to spend some time. And so what we did was they said, okay, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to stop 15, 20 minutes. We've got our Bibles open, whatever, and Worth, worth thinking about Jake. So Jake, you don't get to do anything but sit there. Sorry. That was me. I'd just sit there, which drove me crazy. I feel like they did that on purpose. They knew I wouldn't want to be the guy just sitting there. I'd just sit there, and they're like, we're going to just sit and listen and see what we feel like the Lord says. And we're just going to pray, thinking about you. So we sit there, felt like an eternity. It probably wasn't that long, but, well, it definitely wasn't an eternity, but... Um, felt like a really long time, you know, 15, 20 minutes maybe. They're listening and quiet and praying and writing stuff. And um, I saved a lot of the notes, got some great stuff, cool visual pictures, awesome scriptures. Like, it was great. My friend David, who was doing this for the first time, when it got to him, he was almost, like, embarrassed a little bit. He had, like, this little piece here. He goes, I only have two words. <laughs> and they were the two words that meant the most to me. And he said, all I heard God say was, good father. I want to be that. I'd like to be that. There's a lot of days where it sure doesn't feel like I'm being that. Amen, said some of the people in the front row. But it just, it got right to the core. And it was like, good father. And I felt like God was saying to me, good father. It's like, God, you're the good father. If I could even just be a tiny glimpse of that always stuck with me. The other stuff, I'd have to go dig it up and read it again to try to remember what it said. I've never forgotten good father. We have inherent significance in him. And I don't think we can live out of that place because we don't slow down enough to hear it. If we could slow down and hear, you're my accepted son and daughter. I have what you need daily to sustain you. You have inherent significance. Now, out of that place, we can go do. It was only after all of these things that led to Jesus' achievement. 
from these things first. Do you know this is the exact reverse of what we do in our culture? Our pattern, the pattern of this world is go achieve. And if you go and achieve enough, you might gain some significance. And from that significance, you may eventually reach a place in your life where you can sustain and provide for yourself and your family. And maybe once you've done all that, you're worthy of acceptance. It's the exact opposite of what God has for us. You are accepted. I will sustain you. You have inherent significance and worth. Now the pressure's off. Go be who you are and watch what I'll achieve through you. Let's pray. God, we want to get this. We want to have ears to hear what you have to say. Forget what I'm talking about this morning. We, have, we need to hear you. God, the invitation to rest in you. Jesus, you've done it. You've completed the work. You did it on our behalf. It's now available. Sabbath is available every day. It's not relegated to a Saturday. We have Sabbath available every day in you. If we could just learn to slow down and receive rest from you. Jesus, would you help us to take your yoke upon us and to learn from you? May we live accepted, sustained. God, may we live significant lives, knowing our inherent significance in you. May we find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.